With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. D.D. Denslow is digging deeper on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Uh, welcome back to TNT Radio. Yes, you're here with me, D.D. Denslow. Uh, if you just caught the last hour, and I highly recommend uh, that you go back and have a listen uh, to what David English was saying uh, about the Chinese, um, about uh, their intentions uh, with regards to Taiwan, and that the Chinese may be headlong Russian uh, into a conflict uh, with the West. Uh, but hopefully not with the British Navy. Yeah, because the British Navy isn't doing too well and I know a little bit about the British Navy I actually worked in Devonport Royal Dockyard on uh, surface ships and in particular nuclear submarines for many many years and I woke up this morning and find out that the Navy is investigating a collision between two British warships in the Middle East uh, off the coast of Bahrain uh, a collision between two Ra Royal Naval warships in the Middle East Harbour is under investigation a uh, footage posted on social media appear to show HMS Chittingfold uh, reversing into HMS Bangar off the coast of Bahrain. No one was hurt, but some damage was sustained, the Navy said. The two mine hunters have been based in the Middle East to ensure the safe flow of commercial traffic. Uh, Rear Admiral Edward Halgren said, I'm aware of a recent incident that took place between two mine hunters in Bahrain's harbour. First of all, I'd like to stress that thankfully, nobody was hurt in the collision, but some damage was sustained. Why this happened is still to be established. We train our people to the highest standards and rigorously enforce machinery safety standards, but unfortunately, incidences of this nature can still happen. And actually, if you go on to social media, you can go onto Twitter, I think I actually posted the video, so I did have a good old chuckle. Uh, it looked like he reversed full steam ahead, quite clearly, big boat in the way, and reversed into the back of it, and there has been some significant damage. So that's two ships that are now taken out of the Great British Navy. We don't have many more left. You know, when they said, oh, we're sending the Navy uh, into the Red Sea, into the Gulf of Aden, what they really meant was HMS Diamond. Yeah, so um, a little bit concerning, uh, particularly if it all kicks off in the Middle East. And my guest who is sitting before me right now, Sarah from DDGGO Politics, she's a bit of an expert on all these things in the Middle East. Sarah, how are you doing? Uh, really glad for you to come on the show. Uh, you're looking great, uh, especially for 5am, 5 5am uh, 5 <laughs> in the morning. Thanks for getting up so early. How happy are you? To be, happy to be back. Thank you so much for having me. DD Squared today. DD Squared. Yeah, it's lots and lots of Ds going on. Um, <laughs> You uh, you operate one of the, the largest um, Telegram geopolitical uh, accounts. I actually only just signed up to it um, yesterday or the day. I don't know if you saw my name flash up. Probably I not. I don't run the Telegram, actually. Oh, surprise, surprise. But, 108 um, thousand subscribers uh, that is truly uh, impressive how do you and you say you don't run it but how do you find that does that get you a lot of attention i know you had some attention in the past does that still get you a lot of attention <laughs> no, now not in that sense no no negative media attention but telegram is a is kind of an interesting platform because it's very hard to 
build. It's a very organic growth. So they've worked really hard and, and kind of just made partnerships with places like Sputnik and, and RT, and they've kind of just grew organically that way. But um, every the, the stuff on that front has quieted down, thankfully. <laughs> the negative <Good>. press. <laughs> Uh, negative press was just good because it means that you're over the target, you're upsetting the right people, and therefore you're doing probably uh, a positive thing. Anyway, so uh, I've brought you on because I want to talk about all things conflict, all things war. Uh, one, we'll start off with... Uh, uh, the one that everyone's forgotten about forget about the six hundred thousand dead men and, and women and disabled people and whoever else has been killed over in eastern europe uh, what's the latest situation with the russia ukraine conflict uh, and what do you make of zelensky's appearance uh, at davos <laughs> well he left that empty-handed so i think people are kind of getting sick of his crap um he left with no guarantees uh, he left with no weapons, no, and he went there with the purpose of getting um, arms, specifically air defense systems and money, and he got neither, which is very telling. You mentioned the 600,000 dead. I'm comfortable with that number. Um, you know, we have seen people that are mentally disabled in the trenches, and we've seen women, uh, female POWs that Russia has, has uh, collected, and it's kind of terrifying uh, that we're at this point. Um, but then today, you know, they did shell Donetsk again. Um, yep. Steve Sweeney just posted about it, and it's pretty brutal. So whenever you see them attacking civilians in that magnitude, it usually means that they're doing very poorly. Um, so it looks like we're seeing more Russian advances in the very near future. And I don't know if you've noticed, but um, Russia had uh, like two weeks where they just did like air raid after air raid after air raid, and yep. that really opened the front up quite a bit and did a, a, quite a bit of, of damage to the military infrastructure. So I think Russia's poised for a good spring, actual spring offensive, and um, I just don't see how much longer they can hold out in Ukraine, honestly. Because there's still talk of, they're still supplying weapons. Uh, Rishi Sunak recently uh, provided £2.5 billion pounds of UK taxpayers' money to Ukraine. Uh, uh, there are still aid packages coming in from the USA. Um, how do you see, uh, is the West just going to turn its back on Ukraine and try and pretend that it never happened? And, and what is Russia going to do? Are they going to just go, go as far as the Dnipro River? Or do you think that they are now like, look, we need to go all the way to Kiev. We need to get rid of this Zelensky, this corrupt Zelensky government, uh, and maybe take Ukraine under some sort of ownership, even if it's temporary, uh, whilst they resolve the issue of, of NATO, etc. Well, they're they're poising for something because Putin did give a speech where he not only not more than alluded to, more than inferred that he was comfortable with giving those borderlands back to Hungary, Slovakia, and Romania. So that's a really big, or and to Poland as well. So that's a really big offer. Uh, so I don't. So that tells me that Putin doesn't feel the need to go all the way out to Kiev or Lvov. Uh, that he's comfortable offering that uh, swath of land to Poland. I don't think that they would allow a Ukrainian rump state to stay under the tutelage of Putin uh, just because it's Putin. But I think that they could finagle something where those border states kind of do something. Um, and I think that Putin's trying to somehow rectify or at least smooth over relations with Poland, because now Poland is the most heavily armed uh, country in Europe now that Germany is 
is a force down into the pit of despair. So I think that there's things that Putin's doing. And you also see some moves out of Hungary and Slovakia that are kind of positioning themselves for the after the war, where Robert Afizo, uh, the PM of Slovakia, saying, we'll never put Ukraine into the EU. We'll never put them, we'll never vote them into that. And Hungary saying the same thing. So we're cutting to the point where it's like, okay, we know that this is all for naught. And um, the United States cannot turn their back on Israel. We're going to choose between Israel and anybody. It's going to be Israel every time because Israel uh-huh. is the boss of the United States. Mm-hmm. So we could see actually a sort of carving up of Ukraine and give bits given <laughs> to, to to the Polish, bits taken in well, uh, by the Russians, and maybe there'll be a little sliver of land it left. It was kind of a, a placating thing after World War II that Stalin gave up all of those border la- or gave those borderlands to Ukraine and kind of miffed the other border countries at the same time. And Putin didn't mention that and was kind of like, "Why did we do that? We should have kind of placated those border countries." And I think that this is kind of reversing something that was seen as a very wronged because especially in the case of Poland, that was they were ethnically cleansed out of that area. So they have a very interesting attachment to it. And with Hungary, um, Ukraine is actually currently ethnically cleansing them from the borderlands right now. So they want their people back as well. So I think it's a positive move in the right direction. Ukraine can't be trusted at all. They're not responsible enough for statehood. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, it's always been regarded as the most corrupt country uh, in yeah. Europe, and it still is regarded as the most. In fact, in fact, it's given countries like Colombia and yeah. Venezuela and Ecuador a run for their m- money in, in terms yeah. of the levels of corruption. The other story that's coming out of Europe, particularly this week, uh, well, there's two. We've got this. Um, uh, uh, NATO exercise is it uh, exercise at Steadfast 2024? 90,000 NATO troops all spread roughly in sort of missile throwing distance uh, mm-hmm. of the Russian borders. We've got uh, in the art, we've got uh, Navy presence in the uh, Baltic. Uh, we've got uh, British 16,000 British Army troops. Some are going to be based in the Arctic. Um, how is, is this going to is this some sort of direct provocation? against russia or is it just some muscle flexing because they are concerned about russia moving uh westwards uh into europe did you say sixty thousand uk trips do you guys have okay one six thousand to spare right now i think our military i think our entire military personnel in numbers is just short of three hundred thousand but that's on paper that's on paper. That's across no. all of our military forces, though. Uh, no. Army, Navy. So it's not particularly uh, big. It would be no match for Russia if it, if we had um, a connect. But they said that you guys are the you guys are the defenders of Europe now. That's what we were told the other day. What the UK? Yeah, the UK. Oh. Yeah, please. We, we don't. We <laughs> well, I mean, Ger- Germany is saying that they're going to be in at, at war within the next five years. There are rumors coming out of the Scandinavian countries like Finland and Sweden that they are now that, that the public are being informed uh, and their services there to prepare for a conflict with Russia. Do you think the US and Europe are still really pushing in that direction? Uh, we've got this big NATO steadfast um, uh, exercise or is it all talk? The, the NATO exercises are always there for du- dual purposes. 
the exercise but to antagonize russia so this is just antagonizing russia on that border you've already seen that they've started escorting planes out of the airspace um they also do a lot of war games uh during those uh, exercises which is when we found out that poland would fall to russia in three days that was a nato exercise that that determined that so they do war games and, and exercises and and poke the bear per se but it's also fodder for them to they make up the results after these exercises so they may say we just ran war games and we can actually beat russia so you're talking about information that's coming out in those countries that says get ready for war for with russia and now we have nato exercises so the chances of them coming out we tested it and we can actually still beat russia like so it could just be a last ditch effort for that but it's a waste of time and a waste of money whatever yeah, it is i mean i meant I mentioned that, I mean, you said the UK was going to be the defender of Europe. Once upon a time, I would have believed that. In fact, I would have not had anything other said about the UK other than that and that we are a great military power. Uh, but um, I think our stores, uh, if we went into a hot conflict, we would last in about last about three to five to seven days uh, in a connected days days if we all started shooting bullets because we just haven't got the munitions and we haven't got the stores and the stock and the staff uh, to be able to compete with somebody like russia on the battlefield this is this is this can be said right across europe even the usa do you not think that Putin may just, may just decide, you know what, I'm fed up with this, I'm fed up with being poked, and that he might just engage with us? I mean, uh, maybe in a more weakened state. We're not quite, I don't think the United States is weakened enough from a military standpoint, so I don't think that that would be very smart on the I think at this point, I keep on saying like Xi and Putin, their strategy is like do nothing and win. Like don't interrupt them if they're messing up. Just let them go and do their thing. So I just don't think that Russia would. And he's also expressed multiple times he has no intention of going into mainland Europe. But I also think there may be a chance that he goes into the Baltics because the Baltics are um, getting very fascist against Russians at this point. So, and that could be by design as well. So we'll see what happens in the near future, but there's nothing left to fight Russia with. Europe is out of 155 millimeter shells. So where do we go from here? There's no jets, there's no shells, there's no people. Where do we go? And we've been so de-industrialized particularly Germany, as Germany. a result of sanctions uh, that have been, that been applied to, to, to Russia uh, and the fact that we're no longer receiving uh, Russian gas, at least not directly. Might be getting it through India or somewhere like that, but not directly from the Russians. Is there any way that we'd be able to build up our stores and strengthen ourselves, say, in five years' time uh, for when this conflict uh, is predicted to happen, or at least if you believe the mainstream media coming out of No, here? because Br BRICS is now becoming an oil block so how are you going to get petrol like how are you going to get gas you have venezuela was just invited in we're waiting to see if saudi joins you have iran already and russia's already and all of the major oil producers are in or coming in who will fuel europe without nord stream and russia and i think that germany said that in the parliament the other day they were like we're We've ruined our economy without Russian gas and we're basically screwed. And they were like, what have we done? Like, it was very poignant almost because they were like, we're, we have no, we, we can't do anything. We're completely de-industrialized. Very sad. Mm -hmm. 
It is, it is very, I mean, it is sad. I mean, I'm not too sad for Germany. Two world wars, <laughs> one world cup, as we say here in, in the UK. Um, is there any way that we can pull this back? Uh, will Germany yeah. turn around and go, do you know what our real enemy is? Is it the people who blew up the Nord Stream pipeline, which would be the USA, pretty certain that that's the case, uh, and that Europe might turn its back on, on uh, the USA uh, and tell them to go and fight their own wars? I think you'd have you'd be more poised to answer that question, but I think that Italy, France, and Germany are kind of like well, France more is more flailing in the wind, kind of, but Germany and Italy are getting really sick of the bullshit, and so is Hungary, and and Poland is not their their leadership is is kind of still okay with the West, but the people are fed up. So you have that kind of South and Eastern, and the Balkans are getting like kind of hot right now. So I think everybody's kind of getting sick of the west bullshit and when we say the west i think we mean from i think we mean the uk and over at this point because mm. i just don't feel like germany france and italy are in total compliance at this juncture i think yeah i think that is the general feeling and malaise here in the uk is that we have sided with the usa and then all of a sudden well, oh, we're supposed to be the big boys oh, we can't last three days in a firefight and yeah. our only friend now is the usa which the rest of the world is turning their backs on and it may well also that may well also be something that's a, a product of what's going on in the middle east and that's where i want to go to uh, that's our next stop uh, around the world sarah uh, when we come back on the break here on TNT Radio. Radio works because of its ability to personalize to the listener. What's exciting these days is that people are rediscovering it. You know, people are really rediscovering just how powerful radio is, how ubiquitous it is. It's in our cars, it's in our homes. There are so many new ways to access it. It's everywhere. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. A hoax about carbon dioxide in the climate has caused a global energy and economic disaster. Today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Uh, welcome back to TNT Radio. You're here with me, D.D. Denslow. I'm talking to Sarah from uh, the Telegram geopolitical uh, account, uh, D.D. Geopolitics. Uh, big shout out to everybody in the live chat, to Mazzy, to Mali, to Hidden in Plain Sight, to Skippy. Uh, and I've got some uh, comments here. Uh, this is from Mali Bites. D.D., they're called rounds, not bullets. Bless, he's an ex-military dude. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. I'm live on air. It's whatever comes out of my mouth. Uh, and to Skippy, he always says something very, very poignant. He likes me saying that. Uh, one day, one of these exercises may go live. 9-11 and 7-7 false flags being good examples. And when I first heard of the Steadfast, Steadfast is that the right name? Yes, is that the right name? It is the uh -huh. Steadfast 20, 2024 yep. happening back in uh, autumn time uh, in 2023. Uh, the first thing I thought was it is going to be a deliberate attempt to provo provoke an incident or an event from the Russians in which we can capitalize and go to war. Uh, very quickly, just to so you can answer Skippy's comment, do you think that that's likely to happen, particularly as Google is warning of a sensitive event uh, in February? Yes, because I think that they wanted to utilize Prosperity Guardian as a way to do a false flag incident, and that's just not panning out. <laughs> Well, we have just hilarity ensuing in the Red Sea. It's just such a mess. So maybe they're saying, like, let's try another route, because I do think that they were really banking on some sort of mishap, at least with the United Navy warships, uh, United States Navy warships. So I, I do think that there could be 
um, an incident. I mean, there are already some close calls over the Baltics right now. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a famous, uh, a famous like admiral or, or war colonel said, "Hey, we've got our troops a bit close together, talking to an enemy. Maybe we should keep them apart so that we don't accidentally shoot at each other and create a war. And there can only be one reason why you'd want to bring your your militaries in such close proximity uh, of an enemy, and that is particularly the USA keeping your fingers crossed that something goes wrong or someone makes a mistake." or there's an accident and someone gets hurt, which can easily result in a conflict. Anyway, let's fly all the way from uh, Eastern Europe uh, to the Middle East, a bit sunnier there. Uh, what's going on? Can you just give us a sort of summary of what the situation is today in Gaza uh, with the uh, continuous uh, bombardment by Israel? Uh, what's happening? What's the loss of life? Is there any sort of indication that Israel are, are going to stop what they are doing um well we were waiting for the icj uh ruling which i don't think will have much of an impact but i do think that it's going to go positively for us so that's a good good thing um but in regards to gaza there's no time left there's where i think that casualties have just hit thirty thousand. over half of them were women and children we still don't have any list from uh, Israel about who, who from Hamas they have killed, but they've admitted that no senior personnel from Hamas have been killed. So if that's the case, maybe they haven't even admitted it. Maybe they're just saying that so they can continue to indiscriminately bomb Gaza. Um, we've been doing a lot of bomb identification. So I, I helped testify to the ICJ for the bomb identification, but they're using bombs that are completely disproportionate to anything yep. that they need. Nobody's reeling them in. Who's going to tell them to stop Britain or the United mm -hmm. States? You know, I'm reading a book right now about the Israeli lobby in the UK. And I'm like, what is happening? I, I, I want to know. I now want to know. Uh, I mean, the, the Israeli uh, dual citizenship problem in American politics is quite well known. There's some good videos out there that explains all this. And there's some good memes that list it. And, I, and the proportion of dual citizens who are in high-level positions within the American government is quite um, is quite mind-blowing. How anyone yep. can look at it and go, oh, there's no problem there. There's no problem there. It's yeah. like... Every senior politician, particularly those involved in war yeah. or uh, forcing you into lockdown so that you can get jabbed, yeah. they are all um, Israeli Zionists. Yeah, How who bad a pushing the Who else was pushing the vaccine so hard? What country was pushing the vaccine the hardest? Israel. So, you know, we found like um, FARA, we had the, our FARA Act, our foreign agents. Um, we found a ton of them were, were working for Israeli embassies but or Israeli agencies, but they had been pushing COVID. For the last two years they were like some of the top accounts pushing the vaccine and it's like hmm that's really strange that an israeli lobby is pushing the vaccine so hard so yes and then the the book i was pretty uh because you guys actually have working definitions of anti-semitism inside of your political parties and they're crazy like one was like uh you can't tell an a person in Britain that they're a, a, they're to a jew in Britain that their allegiance is stronger to israel than it is to britain that's anti-Semitism. And I was like, uh -huh. why? <laughs> like, what? Or like the other one that says, you can't say that Israel is not allowed self-determination. That's anti-Semitism. And if you get caught, like if you get branded with the anti-Semitism, as you know, Jeremy Corbyn and, yeah. and yeah. a lot of people from that party, Chris Williamson, Jackie Walker, uh -huh. we're all just kicked out of the party. 
So it's like, it's pretty incredulous. Uh, that, so I just don't see that the United States and Britain even being able to really reel them back in. I think in those two places, it's gotten so out of control, especially in the United States. The United States is like, well, what are you going to do? Like they're so entwined with our go- intertwined with our government that there's just no, I don't know how we would ever pull them apart. How, how you said you looked into or you've been reading a book about uh, the Israeli lobby in the UK. It's yeah. not something that um, it is, it's very much sort of in the optics of the average person here. How serious a problem is it in the UK? I, I mean, I'd like to know with the actually, I was quite I shocked, how quite shocked at how serious a problem it is. You know, we don't really use a lot of the anti Semitism labels to kick politicians out. And I, or people in political parties like that. But I was just reading, and it was really funny because a lot of them, I'm like, I know them from Twitter. Like, they're all my friends from like spaces and shows. And I'm like, oh, they're the cool people getting kicked out of the party for anti Semitism. But we don't have mechanisms like that that ban people from political parties or political positions because of anti Semitism. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that it was really interesting to me. And it was also really interesting is that I'm very terrible with names. And so, like, I, when, when I get to books, I'm like, if this isn't a main character, I'm like, d- brand dumping the name but by like the second chapter i was like these are like the five same five same lobbyists that just go from one agency to the next and they're like in labor friends of israel like the jewish labor movement like it's like oh, this weird like obscure and i don't know if you or your listeners have ever seen it but there was a fantastic al jazeera documentary called the lobby and it's available on youtube and it's a guy that goes undercover into the uk's israeli lobby and for me, and I'm not a British citizen, I was terrified. I was like, they have no control whatsoever over their own government. It's really bad. And that's a relationship that I think is worth examining because what is USA is very much held hostage to Israel, but I think Britain is more so. And I don't know if it's because Britain's kind of responsible for the creation. Yeah, yeah. So they feel that uh, they can't say that, you know, this was a mistake. But um, and also they've got themselves tied up into a pretzel about what's anti-Semitism and what's not. So can, are we allowed to say that Israel has stopped bombing or is that anti-Semitism? You know, you are getting to the point where if we ask questions about Gaza, we're like, that's anti-Semitic. And you're like, yeah. Don't that's, call it a genocide. That's, that's anti-Semitic. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that would be it. Saying it's, oh, Israel's committing a genocide. Oh, that's anti-Semitic. I mean, literally, that would be an, uh, an example uh, of our political class being anti-Semitic. You'd probably be kicked out of the Conservatives or the Labour for saying that. Uh, um, we've seen it with Andrew Bridgen, who you may be aware of. He's a vocal British MP speaking out about vaccines. His speaking out of vaccines, he got called an anti-Semite for that uh, in <laughs> Parliament and got kicked out of the Conservative Party. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, he's been absolutely de- demonized ever since um how you know how serious a problem is this and what is the attention of the israeli lobbyists or the israeli owned governments here in the west and what really bothers me is how long has it been going on for can we date it back to 2000 uh, to 1917 with the balfour declaration or does it go back much further you might be for the united states i believe that we were flipped when the with the assassination of jfk i think that's when that sort of power dynamic shifted to israel having way more power kind of like look what we can do if you don't do what what we want you to do so and then you mentioned that a lot of times the anti-semitism like accusations are really just like telling on themselves like why would me talking about vaccines be anti-semitic 
Like that's very revealing that you would say that. Like that's like they're kind of flailing and everything is anti-Semitism yep. and they've actually diluted the definition of yep. anti-Semitism to the point where everybody's like, shut up. Like nothing mm-hmm. is anti-Semitic. So they've kind of screwed themselves. So I, I do think that there's hope. And I think a lot of it is just kind of like gritting our teeth and getting through this because there's just no way that Israel comes out of this unscathed with their reputation unscathed. You've seen them doing interviews and you've seen Pierce Morgan and Elon Levy or whatever his name is. And they just say the most asinine things. And I'm like, this can't go on. The rest of the world is seeing this. And 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 it really, Scott Ritter says it all the time. Their reputation is so far down the drain. I don't think that it's salvageable. And the two-state solution is no longer viable because we're looking at a two-state solution right now. So yeah. I think that this is getting, we're getting closer to the end, but I think that Israel knowing them and their irrationality, that this is probably the most dangerous time for for people not involved in the war and people in Gaza. So mm-hmm. yeah. How dangerous. I mean, you mentioned the the, the two-state solution. Uh, Net, Netanyahu has come out and said, this is this can't be an option. We're not going to consider it. I know Biden is pushing for it. He's gone, nah, sod Biden. I tell Biden what to do, not the mm-hmm. other way around. If we can't have a two-state solution, or if there can't be a two-state solution implemented in Israel, what's going to happen? And it can't really happen now because Gaza's been absolutely leveled and mm-hmm. there's stuff going on in the West Bank that we're not mm-hmm. being told about. So mm-hmm. what's the future for this conflict? Does Israel stop under the international pressure that it's facing or is it going to double down um, with this sort of lost cause fallacy and just keep bombing away and taking well, on the Hezbollah and the North, expanding the conflict? Again, that's Bibi saying, like, I'm going to push you into a corner. You have to choose now. Like, they're flailing again. They're losing their reputation. Now they're totally abandoning the two-state solution. They don't have to be soft anymore. They've always kind of had to be like, yeah, yeah, we'll consider a two-state solution. Now they can say, we're not even considering it anymore. We're bombing the sh- out of Gaza. And they have to make everybody choose, right? Because now everybody's going to say, do we support the is do we support Israel and its one state solution? Then we're literally supporting an ethnic cleansing slash genocide. So is Britain and the United States going to endorse Bibi's plan? Also Russia? Like, can you say something as well? Like, so this is Bibi kind of forcing people to make a choice. Um, so if you continue to support Israel after that statement, you are supporting the complete ethnic cleansing of Palestinians from that land. So that's something mm-hmm. that people really need to examine. Uh, and I think, yeah, at least in the public sphere, the vast, vast majority of people definitely here in the UK, and you see it on social media, that the, the support for Israel is fairly fringe uh, and limited, uh, especially now we are, what, over 100 days into this conflict and people have seen the absolute carnage wrought on Gaza and its people. Um, you mentioned Russia and uh Russia has today announced that they are now flying planes uh, along yep. the sort of Syrian border of the Golan Heights. Uh, why are they doing that? Is it just another uh, potential fracture point or um, a, a point in which a conflict can uh, spring out of nowhere? Well, they tellingly said terrorists were patrolling the southern border for terrorists. But terrorists, as we know them in the West, are not really an issue on the southern border. Who's an issue on the southern border? Israelis. So it was very telling that they used that language, kind of coded language. And I'm like, oh, there's no really no ISIS or anything down there. And they don't consider Hezbollah and Hamas terrorists. So they're talking about the Israelis. So that was kind of a big step. You know, of course, people still complain, why isn't Russia doing more? And I'm like, you... (laughs) 
but like this is actually a pretty big move for Russia uh, yeah. to even do that. And, and if it were just for terrorists or drug trafficking, they would have been doing it prior to October 7th and they haven't. So I think it's a really good sign. Um, I know that for Russia, it's a much better um, foreign policy and business investment to be against Israel, but they have the humanitarian aspect where there are a lot of Russians in Israel. So uh, I did speak to um, the ambassador as well as uh, an ex-KGB agent, and they both said the same thing that in the end, at the end of the day, Russia is going to choose their BRICS alliance with Iran over a couple million yeah. Russian Israelis that didn't leave. So mm -hmm. that's kind of, and, and maybe we might be seeing Russia kind of moving in that direction finally so how um how we've seen iran also uh they've uh, demonstrated their, their firepower they've demonstrated their capability to hit targets a long way off you know 750 kilometers or 750 miles kind of exactly the distance uh but they hit them uh they are apparently at least uh cia mossad aligned sites terrorist sites um is the USA paying attention to this? Yes. And is is this going to be sort of, is this the beginnings of Iran becoming directly involved in this conflict, which I'm sure the Americans in particular, uh, not the British Navy, because we've only got HMS Diamond there, uh, but the Americans <laughs> are probably rub rubbing their hands <laughs> at, the, at the prospect of actually being able to fire on Iran as soon as they get the opportunity? Well, it depends. Um you know, Iran is very smart and pragmatic. So today, was it today or a couple hours ago, um, the Iraqi resistance forces ramped up their attacks on the American bases in Iraq and Syria. So that's happening right now. So Iranian proxies, like they're going to get blamed for them anyway. At least, like they're just going to utilize them. But what Iran did is instead of kind of directly reacting to that, it's they went over to Pakistan and said, let's get rid of these terrorists that are sponsored by God knows who, and we'll do it together. And the West doesn't like that because the West is is up the asses of Pakistan and they're trying to work out their terrorist issue with Iran. And the United States probably funds those people in, in one way or another. But yeah, so Iran is doing other things diplomatically and their proxies. I, I hate calling them that it just sounds like they have no agency. But the people that they help, the axis of resistance is doing what they can locally. Iran cleaned up their own Kurdistan issue which is a huge issue that they killed an oil tycoon with a strike, a very precision strike. People cried about it. You know, a civilian. No, he was literally a Kurdish oil tycoon that was funding Mossad. So, and, and these thing, kinds of pieces of information are, are being able to come out. Like people were like, they attacked like just like innocent Kurds. And we're like, no, they literally bombed the Mossad headquarters. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh. so it's, and then people start to think, why is Mossad have a headquarters in Iran? And it's just like, you know, it's starting like the cookie's starting to kind of crumble and people are starting to see like, wow, things are really effed up in the Middle East in terms of Israel yeah. and the United States' involvement. Yeah. So uh -huh. I think that them even thinking it or even they, they've done a terrorist attack in Iran, which is easily blamed away because ISIS immediately took responsibility. But ISIS is the United States, but whatever. Um But if they were to attack Iran, they'd be really risking something, a huge event with Russia and China a huge event uh, now that now that they're in bricks i just can't help and i know i keep pushing pushing at it and picking at it but i keep can't help but feel that the usa has this absolute determination 
to start a conflict with Russia, yeah. with Iran, with China, uh, with anyone uh, that they can. And actually, it's them who are flailing around as they become increasingly, increasingly isolated, correct? Yeah, well, we have a military economy. Our dollar is based on the strength of the United States military. So once that comes into question, the dollar comes into question as well and vice versa. So if the only thing that you have is a hammer, everything is a nail. So we have to get into a, another war that's not such a quagmire as Ukraine was and in order to keep the dollar viable. Because at this point, BRICS is about to make their own currency and a lot of them are going off the dollar for a lot of their trading. That's another reason why they're pressuring Saudi to not join BRICS and to go ahead back with the normalization process with the Israel. So yes, the United States needs a war. The problem with the United States is the hubris that they can't win a war with Iran or Russia or China at this give, at a give, at right now and at this juncture, but they think that they can, or maybe they don't care that they can't, but they need the war in order to keep the mm -hmm. economy going. We're about to fall off of a cliff in the United States. We're about to mm -hmm. fall into a very severe depression. Mm -hmm. And you can just see that. All you got to do is go and, go and Google uh, the USA debt clock. It's at 34 trillion and something else. Uh, but by the end of this show, in the next 20 minutes, they would have added many, many, yeah. many millions uh, in debt. Uh, it's almost, it's, it's gone beyond exponential. The, the, mm -hmm. the, the curve is now vertical. Uh, and it is literally a matter of time mm -hmm. before the whole house of cards comes collapsing down. Okay, we're going to a break now, Sarah. And then when we come back, we're going to touch on Yemen. It's our final stop. It's still in the Middle East. Oh, Sarah's getting all excited about Yemen. I never, ever knew that Yemen would get a bird all excited. Quite interesting. Uh, and I also want to talk about, are there any political solutions coming out of the US now or after the US election and what will prevent this conflict in the Middle East from getting any hotter? So please stay right with us here on TNT Radio. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. Is it weird for a grown man to say daddy's back? Seems kind of weird for a grown man to say daddy's back. I don't care because you know what? Daddy's back, baby. 98 out of 99 counties. An unprecedented 51% of the vote, the previous record of 43% being held by George W. Bush. A landslide so massive that the mainstream media had to shelve its false narrative that Trump won only because of the cold weather. And now it's on to New Hampshire. And New Hampshireites need to do for Nikki Haley's campaign what Iowans did for Vivek Ramaswamy's. That is, end it. Nikki Haley must never be allowed near the levers of power ever again. I personally am never Nikki, and so should you be. Why? Because Nikki Haley is a globalist. Nikki Haley is the globalist's favorite Republican. In fact, most of her funding and many of her votes came from Democrats. We can do better than Nikki. Nikki would be a worse vice president for President Trump than Mike Pence was. No to the ticket, no to Nikki, never ever again. For MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. Around here, bushfire is just a part of life. We've been through it before and we'll get through it again. The people here all look out for each other. We're a community that does its bit to plan and prepare to keep everyone safe. We live with bushfire, so we live bushfire ready. D.D. Denslow is digging deeper on today's News Talk, TNT Radio.
And welcome back to TNT Radio. You're with me, Didi Denslow, for the remainder of my show. I've got about 15 minutes to go, and it's absolutely flown by. And I put that down uh, to the quality of guests that we've got on. Uh, Sarah's with me from DD Geopolitics. Uh, we've been talking about what's going on in Eastern Europe. We're talking about what's going on in the Middle East. Uh, I see that the American Navy has carried out another series of strikes against Yemeni's targets, against the Houthis. Yemen being, once upon a time, the most bombed place on the planet not anymore Gaza's overtaken them unfortunately um how is this going to develop with regards to the Houthi attacks on shipping because they ne- they've now opened up the net they said oh if you're a British ship if you're an American ship uh, basically all traffic now going through uh, the Red Sea and the Gulf of Aden could potentially become a target uh, but also uh, the British have said um, the British Special Forces join Red Sea mission to intercept Iranian arms bound for Yemen so it looks like the British and the Americans are now going to be focusing on traffic that's going to Iran or coming from Iran and they can use any excuse because they could just say oh I think it's got weapons so it seems like this tit for tat is increasing in that region yeah uh, well, yeah, and the problem is is that uh, the Houthis or Ansarallah or the Yemeni armed forces, whatever you want to call them, they will not be deterred. I've spoken to members of Ansarallah of the Yemeni armed forces, and they have always said, we're happy to be designated a terrorist organization. We're happy to be, you know, we're happy to have the attention on us and not on Gaza. Uh, so we're happy to continue to do it. I think that the day after the first attack, they hit another ship. And then um, I, Joe Biden was asked, like, do you believe that Prosperity Guardian is working? And he said, oh, you mean working as a deterring the Houthis? No. And it was like, what are doing? We're bombing the poorest nation in the world. The greatest humanitarian tragedy of our time. Most yeah. people don't know that. They think it's Gaza. Yeah. No, it's Yemen. And yeah. they're like, it's not working anyway. Like, think about that. Like, it's and then you're saying like it's hit for tat. Yeah. They're like, well, then we'll oppose our own blockade. And whether or not that's successful, but again, that's probably another push towards let's get a mishap here. Let's get a let's. Mm-hmm. That's what I really thought was going to happen in the Red Sea. I was like, they want another USS Liberty. They want a mishap. And then the two British ships collided, and I was like, oh well, there's the mishap. But, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but they, I that think that just... they really, really do want a mishap. I mean, on the mishap, and I like to put my tin hat on uh, at least once per hour. Uh, the Dwight D. Eisenhower is the American aircraft carrier that's in the Red Sea at the moment. Um, I, th- I believe she may actually be uh, the old. She's definitely the oldest of all the well, aircraft I've carriers. I deployed on uh, the Eisenhower, actually. I was deployed on the Eisenhower in 2016. Um, it's a terrible ship. It's in complete disrepair. It was been supposed to be decommissioned for a long time um and they refitted it instead and i mean you can't refit metal so you only can do it so many times before it's like weak and beyond repair and that's kind of where they're i mean there's holes in the hole there's uh kind of electronic issues there's air ventilation there's all kinds of issues on the ike and the reason why we can't get we can't decommission it is because we can't get our new ships built or up to up to specs to even sail so uh the ike stuck out there kind of uh, just sitting there and they're just really launching jets uh for for salvos and it's a sitting duck really yeah I, I mean it's the sitting duck bit that i wanted to get to because i'm like if you know it's israel you might want to send your best ship yeah your best aircraft carrier your best battle group and instead they've set this 
bucket, bucket of rust and nails yeah. and bolts and all well, the rest of it. And it seems like it's a sitting duck because if it goes to the bottom, the Americans probably will just go, on, you've done us a favour. Thank you. Yep. Plus, we it's, get to bomb you some more. Do you think that's going to happen? That's what I said. So in, in the, to go back to your statement, the Ford was the newest carrier group and the Ford left and they brought the oldest yep. carrier group in. And it was like, and that's exactly what I said. I was like, oh my God, the Ike was supposed to be decommissioned. Yep. They're going to ask the Houthis to decommission it for them. Like, yeah. I was like, this is what's going to happen. They're going to do, like, I really thought. But then I was like, the, the catastrophe of a carrier sinking, the loss of life would be incredible. So they have to be careful if this is the route they really want to go. There can't be any inkling that the United States or Israel did it because there's up to 6,000 people on a carrier. And so the loss of life would just be astounding. So I don't know. At 9-11, did they care about the loss of life? No, no. Israel uh, I, I mean, I, I, I'm not saying it was an inside job, but I'm sort of saying it was an inside job. 9-11. It was an inside uh, job. <laughs> it was an inside job. So they didn't care about the loss of life there. And uh, no. I'm pretty sure they didn't care about the loss of life of USS Liberty. 6,000 no. soldiers. Yeah, that will certainly get the uh, natives back in America yeah. pretty riled up and banging uh, the war drums. Uh, and I was the same as you. As soon as I saw the Dwight D um, uh, was stationed in the Red Sea, the first thing I did was, how old is this boat? And I went and had a look, and I realized <laughs> that, you know, it's older than me. Old. Uh, I, I, and uh, my alarm bells immediately started going up, saying that this is absolutely prime for a false flag and again google keeps talking about a sensitive event coming down the line i think that that may well be uh, uh one of those sensitive events what's going to happen to the hoofies then are, are we going to be able to take them out or are they just going to keep pirating uh, and droning our ships and we're all going to have to pay the cost for it and the price increases uh, for our daily bread here in the uk and the usa that's the issue is that the West, the, mainly the UK and the United States, don't understand an enemy like Ansarallah. They don't understand a group of people that says, we're not only willing to die, we're happy to die for Gaza. And that's something that, like, I mean, five million people went out to the square the day after the biggest strikes and were like, we're still going to go. Like, we're still doing this. So, no. Um, you can't beat them, but not in the sense that they can overpower you. They've already mm -hmm. said, we've won. You bombed us. Once you bombed us, we won. We took all mm -hmm. of your attention. You mm -hmm. told us we were powerful enough, and you bombed us, and we won. And so mm -hmm. you can't beat a people like that. You can't beat a re resolve like that, and, you know, especially in places like the United States where we really have none. We have no moral resolve here or kind of people pride. Uh, so... And no, I don't think you'll be able to uh, defeat the Houthis in the sense that you'll make them be able to make them go away. No, never. Mm -hmm. And all they got to do is just keep chucking over two thousand pound drones, don't they? And, uh, and the French are firing off multi-million pound yep. uh, air defence missiles. The Americans, the British, uh, with its whole navy, HMS Diamond, are doing exactly uh, the same. Uh, and all the while, that debt clock keeps ticking up, and everything's getting more expensive at home. I mean, it, it, the best thing that we could do is just go. Do you know what? We'll all just walk away, uh, and uh, the world would be a better place for it. With uh, the state of the US of US politics, you've got the general election in 2024 coming up. Will Donald Trump come in? He might do it with Ukraine and Russia, but will if he came into power, say we're going to stop 
and resolve the situation uh, in the Middle East. Now, he gives it that sort of rhetoric about Russia. We don't hear him say about Israel. Does he, is he owned by uh, the lobbyists? I think that Donald Trump is probably the least of all of the evils that we have across the board. Um, but he's also still a raving Zionist because of his daughter and his son-in-law's financial interests. I don't think that he's a Zionist because it's it's moral or he believes in the political ideology. I think he's a Zionist from a business sense. So that's something mm -hmm. easier to deal with than a fanatical Zionist that's like, kill them all, I don't care. Donald Trump, at least, is like, this isn't a really sound business decision. So, I mean, maybe like that's a better chance that way. You're not going to Nikki Haley. I think you guys had her in a commercial while we were here. God, Nikki Haley's I, ready sure to like, atomic, like throw a nuke on Gaza. And then RFK would from clearly went from like, I think I can ask questions to now being like, I want to level all of it. And you're just like, OK, we're all they're all lunatics. So really, Donald Trump is the best bet. The only problem with Trump is that he really doesn't like China and he really doesn't like Iran and Iran really doesn't like him. So that's kind of a tenuous situation. I think that in that instance, he would choose Israel over Iran just because he hates Iran so much, not because he necessarily loves Israel. I don't get like any sort of Israeli pride or like any sort of patriotism or Zionism from Donald Trump. It really just feels like, oh, this is a smart business decision at the moment. So that's what I'm going to do. And I have got a question, and I haven't asked it of you yet. And it's in my notes. I've got you said around, mustn't forget. So I did a Google search the other day, and I used the, the AI chatbot. And I said, uh, name me, list me all the attacks on the West committed by Iran or Iranian terrorists. And guess what? How many uh, attacks there have been on Western countries by Iran? Zero. Yeah absolutely zero and so my question is because i don't know the answer and maybe people in the live chat or anyone who's listening is going to jump on me as some sort of you know muslim supporter or iran supporter what has iran ever done to us that's my question uh iran overthrew the shah that's what they did to us that was our first coup uh we worked with the british it was kermit roosevelt I think, yeah, Kermit Roosevelt related to the Roosevelt family that went in there with the British and overthrew the government of Mossadegh, um, which then turned into what you all know. And they've continued the revolution, the Islamic revolution since then, and it has not stopped. And that's an issue. There's a, That's an issue for a place that it won't just won't bend to Western values because of that coup and the hostage situation afterwards. So that's an issue for the United States. They've been trying to get regime change in there forever and they can't get it in there. And that's their real problem. It's not that Iran is Islamic or they're terrorists or the yeah. IRGC is an issue. It's because the government doesn't listen to the United States and they haven't since the seventies. So that's the issue. They're not playing ball. They're independent. That's how I see yeah. it. And you don't have to like, you know, the, 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 the Islamic uh, ideology, whatever is prevalent in Iran. You don't, you don't have to be a fan of this. This isn't about that. Like, this is about sovereignty. Exactly. Do mm -hmm. we respect the sovereignty of other nations? No, we don't. And this is this, this is the thing. And I am a big fan of Iran, but I understand when people aren't. But this is about national sovereignty. And that's why you see people gravitating towards BRICS and Russia, because they're not imperialistic in the sense that they impose a cultural imperialism. So they don't they allow nations to act within their culture and within their own sovereignty. And that's appealing to nations. 
And the United States has no reason to be mad about Iran at all because they made Iran like that. They isolated Iran and made her self-sufficient and made her uh, have the best drone program, the best plastic surgery program, the most educated women in the world. They made them do that. That was nobody's fault but the United States. So I don't know what they're so upset about. They created it. I, I need to say some things about Iran that the average person and maybe some of the informed TNT listeners uh, aren't aware of is that they, they are quite well educated in Iran. They do have quite a strong economy. They've got a lot of resources. And now they've just shown in the West that they've got the military capabilities that are probably equal to and a match to what we have here in the West. Uh, and I'm sure uh, the average person can't believe that Iran was able to hit targets 700 miles away or that uh that their women are educated there because we're led to believe that they're a bunch of back you know they're they're they're, they're cave dwellers they're a bunch of backwards goat herders who, who wear rags on their heads and that they're not a modern society like the rest of the world iran is so far from that it's not even i always joke with my girlfriend that lives in iran and i always say call me on tuesdays and thursdays because i know that's when iranian women are allowed to use the phone and she's like shut up because we always kind of joke around about like the restrictions on women because there aren't any she's like i go and do whatever i want i'm in college right now so uh that's the type of things that we actually need to be engaging in telling people that you know women can drive in, in iran you know that right like women are doctors in iran instead of this weird uh like i know so i know some iranians uh, they're dentists uh, i know all the iranians <laughs> i know are all part of the freedom movement as well uh, they're all lovely people um so uh you know my impression of iranians, iranians is based on them uh, that, that you know they're great great people okay we're fantastic people they're pragmatic they're patient they're very well educated they choose their words wisely they remind me a lot of russians in that way but mm -hmm. I, I, they're just you know they're very very unique as a people and again they've done that because of isolation they've developed into this beautiful enriching culture because of that isolation so it's like a blessing and a curse also, if people don't understand that Iran is militarily strong, then they haven't been paying attention for the last two years, because just like Ukraine was testing out NATO weapons, Russia was testing out Iranian weapons. So all of uh, those drones, those were all Iranian drones like, given for uh, tests. So that's why they have the strongest drone program. So people just need to pay more attention. Now they're catching up to the fact <laughs> you're two years behind. Yes or no? Are we going to end up in a much larger regional conflict? 100%. Uh, 100%. 100%. Great. I can't wait. That's something for me to look forward to. <laughs> uh, maybe that's the sensitive event that's coming. Sarah, it's been fantastic having you on. Uh, brilliant. Always I'll give you a great. shout in, in a few months' time. Get you on again. And to everyone, Absolutely. please, please listen. Thanks for listening, everyone. Please stay right with us here on TNT Radio. Yeah.